The following program is sponsored by Grant Stern. This is the Only in Miami show, sponsored by Morningside Mortgage Corporation of Bay Harbor Islands. Tonight's show is hosted by Grant Stern. Find out more about our sponsor at www.morningsidemortgage.com. That's www.morningsidemortgage.com. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, Podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And if you're in the car, kick those shoes off, relax. The traffic is not that bad, and stay tuned. We have a fantastic, fantastic show for you tonight. Uh, we have Jacob Cattell in the studio with his new book, The Stone Cold Truth, Inside the Music Biz. It's all about Henry Stone, who is a local music legend in Miami, and Jacob Cattell wrote the inside story of this music legend. He's going to be with us in studio all throughout the hour. Then we have a fantastic guest who's going to be playing at the Medical Marijuana Benefit Concert. His name is Ryan Kakolici. He is the co-founder and keyboardist of the Nog Champions. And we're going to be listening to Nog Champions music throughout tonight's program. So if you want to see them live, it's the Medical Marijuana Benefit Concert happening this weekend. We'll tell you all about it. He's going to come on the program a little bit later. Then at the end of the hour, we have Adam Ganuja. He runs the Night Arts Challenge. Adam is going to come onto the program and tell us about the Night Arts Challenge in Miami uh, from Minneapolis, where he's administering the challenge up there. So that's going to be at the end of the program. There's a lot of reasons to stay tuned, but this is the part of the program where I get a couple of minutes to speak directly to you, our listening audience, about issues of importance that affect us citywide and sometimes beyond. And most of the time, I speak about local political issues here. But I'd like to speak about what is happening in the White House because it is so serious, but it is not seriously easy to understand. And I'm going to explain the grave concern about what has just taken place at the White House and what has been revealed in the last seven days. As we discovered that Vice President Pence and the Trump transition team knew that they were installing a person likely to register as a foreign agent, the agent of a foreign government, and they installed this person as America's national security advisor. It is the highest national security position in America with direct access to the president, an office in the White House, and in charge of a staff of 400 people from every agency that delivers national security at great cost from the the government to the American taxpayers who have certain high expectations. The two terrible things that the, the Trump White House admitted last week were number one, 49 days ago, our president swore an oath to defend our Constitution, 
and our nation from foreign enemies. Yet he hired an illegally unregistered Turkish foreign agent, General Matt Flynn, to be that national security advisor, that key advisor, that key high White House official, to be in charge of America's war and peace decisions. Worse, it means that Sean Spicer's foolish press conference of lies was yet another exercise in gaslighting the American public. And as the AP reported, Spicer said, President Trump was not aware that his national security advisor was probably going to have to register as a foreign agent for his lobbying work. Well, that is dead wrong. Absolutely dead wrong. So much for extreme vetting, huh? They couldn't even vet the most important national security position in the entire country. And the disgraced General Flynn even admitted in the U.S. News that his lobbying genuinely benefited Turkey. Failure to register under FARA, that's the federal act that he's violating, is a federal felony crime. Furthermore, it's a crime for which any political campaign to accept anything of value from a foreign national. So it raises even more grave questions about the multiple federal investigations. And if you're looking for an example of what it means to violate FARA, I think that it's important for the regular person to understand this is a big deal. In fact, it's such a big deal that someone who violated Farah and was convicted was the subject of an Oscar-winning movie in 2016. Well, the movie came out in 2015. They won the 2016 Oscar. Best Supporting Actor Mark Rylance won for portraying Rudolf Abel in Steven Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. Rudolf Abel was convicted for violating Farah amongst three charges. This is a federal statute that is used to charge people who are unregistered foreign agents involved in political activity. There is another word for an unregistered foreign agent engaging in political activity. That's a spy. And we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Cosmic pores straight from the source like a comic. Sugar cube, blue, thin and planet. No drink, 
Ooh, welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Jacob Cattell. He wrote the book, The Stone Cold Truth, Inside the Music Biz. And uh, Jacob, it's great to have you back. Bo, thanks for having me here. It's awesome. So uh, the last book that you were here for, I think, was uh, for, for Christopher Juan Juan, right? Correct, though. Yeah, we had Fresh Kid Ice, My Rise to Fame. Check that one out on Amazon. So uh, tell me a little bit about the new book here. Henry Stone is a music legend in Miami, but not everybody in Miami knows why. Tell, tell, tell our audience a little bit about this, because you worked for Henry Stone before yeah, he passed away. Yeah, I still away. do right now, actually. Okay, so let's talk about the it. label. That's right. But yeah, he got here in 1948. He recorded Ray Charles on Flagler Street in 1950. He founded a record label with James Brown. He was the first guy to record the Twist, biggest dance record ever in history. That's and not it, a bad record. He recorded it, The Twist. Yeah, the first version with Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. Wow. Yeah. So, so before Chubby Checker got it, he was right. there. Exactly. Ah. Yeah, well, you know, that's, it's funny because back in those days, like in the 40s and 50s, there was a lot of covering. You know, there's a well, lot so more. He, he was actually one of the first guys to do it because his first million-selling record was Otis Williams and the Charms, 1955, Hearts of Stone. Okay. Which was a cover of The Jewels from California. <laughs> gotcha. So later on, he had to pay them their publishing, but he made it a hit. And that was, one of the, that was actually for King Records. That was the first record to cross over to white radio. Ah, very interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, th- there's a lot of that. Like uh, Dolly Parton wrote, and I will always love you, but Whitney Houston made it famous. Or uh, All Along the Watchtower is a Dylan song. Yeah. But, you know, Jimi Hendrix's cover of it was so good, everybody thinks it's Hendrix, you know? Yeah, straight up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but whoever got that, their name on that copyright is short to eat for the life of um, the property. Oh, sure. Hell sure. yeah. So explain to our audience a little bit how that works, because, you know, not everybody understands music publishing rights. Right, yeah. Stuff. Hell yeah. I'm glad that you brought that up. It's a, it's a 200% system. 100% is for the composition, the intellectual property of a song, basically notes of music set to a beat with a melody. The, the, the stuff on the sheet. Right, which used to be on the sheet. That's why they call it publishing, because they used to print out the music. Well, you know, they still do print out music. I mean, like, musicians go they, play they, stuff. Yeah, for sure, but it used to be like... Books, yeah, real books, I know. Straight up. Oh, yeah, and the other, the other 100% of that equation, of that 200% equation, is the songwriting. Like the, the lyrics. No, my bad, the recording. Right, the recording. So it's 100% publishing and 100% the master recording. You take those two elements together, you get 200%, and who's ever got the copyrights on each of them is the one who could exploit it. So basically they each get 50-50, or how does this work? How, how it works... All right, you got a performing rights organization, say like BMI is a classic one. I'm actually okay. signed up through there. I'm the last person to actually write a song with Henry Stone. If you look up my BMI for Jake the Dog, Bounce That Booty. <laughs> That's cool. He, he co-wrote that one. That's I'm very the, cool. I'm the last artist he signed for a record deal. Wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. It's a good distinction. Good distinction. Yeah. So, so okay, so BMI is a publishing house, and they, they like buy the rights. Nah, they were they're an administrator. They collect money for you. Actually, I think they're even set up as a nonprofit. But okay. the way the way that it works is, whoever you can, 
you can be the performer of the song but not write the song. That's right. Rihanna. Rihanna doesn't write a lot of her songs, so she's not bound to be able to capitalize off of that copyright. Off of the catalog, like if it gets reused later. For sure, exactly. Whoever owns the copyrights or the master recording and the publishing, the composition of the music is the ones that collect the money for it. Now, the Stone label owns quite a lot of those copyrights, yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, Henry Stone was a music business guy for 65 years. He picked up one or two. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, But... The biggest, the biggest company that he had was in the seventies, TK Productions out of Hialeah. That thing went bankrupt. <laughs> well, I mean, it was big enough to go bankrupt, I guess. <laughs> it was, a, it was a huge company, twenty million dollars. Wow, twenty million dollars, and he actually had a deal from CBS, Walter Hoffa, to sign it over to sell it to CBS. Never went through, but pretty much conceptually, this book that we put together, which is the Stone Cold Truth Inside the Music Biz, available on Amazon.com. If you search Henry Stone or Inside the Music Biz with a Z, it's all this kind of information elucidated straight from um, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, greatest independent record man of all time, Henry Stone. Yeah, me. So, so, I mean, tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, one of the instances in the book, because I, I didn't get to, you know, I didn't get the advanced copy this time. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about it. I mean, there's, yeah. there's so, so many instances. Uh, like, uh, okay, hold on. This looks like a good one. Uh, bootleg Records. Bust up the pressing plant with baseball bats? Yeah. <laughs> that sounds I read, exciting. Can I read a little excerpt? Yeah, it? read the excerpt. Let's do it. I Bullet Records was a label out of Nashville. That's the label that near you came out. The Francis Craig version. It was a huge pop record and a huge bootleg record. Now, this is Henry Stone speaking. I recorded these interviews with him starting in 2011. I had that bootleg. I bought and sold it by the thousands. People just pressed them up. That's one of the first records I remember being bootlegged. First, I was distributing the original. Then a couple guys called me up from New York or Philly, and they said, Henry, man, would you like to buy about 5,000 near yous? You know, we got them. And I said, sure, man. You know, that's what it was. So this was done on a major basis. Just get good equipment, copy the record with a microphone, or however you did it, and press it up. Now, as this little story goes on, he tells you how sometimes back in the day when you were dealing with all these big major record companies, because he was a distributor as well as a manufacturer, meaning he put out this music throughout the whole state of Florida and sold it into the stores that sold it to the people. Right. Everyone, so he was the big middleman. Like, yeah, he yeah. was the mate. He was, he, like I like to say, he ruled the Florida music industry from 1948 to 2014 with an iron fist, a brick <laughs> of cash. In a warehouse full of vinyl. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. Warehouse full of vinyl. I mean, you know, that's the thing. The music business is so different today from just 20 years ago. 20 years ago, it was all about what can you ship? What can you print? Can you get it out? You know, it's all about this, this physical product that you had to distribute everywhere. Now it's like you put it out there, and if it's good, it spreads like wildfire. But how does the artist monetize it? That's the big Boom. question. Yeah, this was a question that he had in his mind as well, but... I tell you, if you take it back to when he first got to Miami, it was our jukeboxes. <laughs> there you go. His original gimmick as a businessman was to sell records to jukebox operators, and they were all over Florida, usually in the immigrant neighborhoods or in the most reputable the houses of drinking possible. Right? For sure, yeah, that was the big thing. Florida man needed some good music, yeah. and in stepped Mr. Stone. Yeah, the juke joints had the jukebox. 
I like it. I the like juke it. Juke joints where the party went down in Overtown. Oh yeah, juke joints. Yeah. I mean, oh man, my uh, my sister's family lives up up in the countryside, up in the north part of the, of the state, sure. and they have their own little juke joint. Like, exactly. It's an old barn that you know they just like put it together. That's yeah, but there's a lot of those back then. Exactly. That's where people went to party, and they, you would usually have a jukebox in there because if a live band or somebody wasn't playing, that's how they had the music. Right. <laughs> and that's how the prostitutes timed their clients. Well, you know, there, <laughs> there you go. Some things never change, right? Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, no, but the, the jukebox, I mean, that's, they're still around, you know? That's the cool yeah. thing. Like, now the digital jukeboxes, like, you can even, like, you know, get an app and change the music, you know, from Straight your phone. Up. And there's a lot of money to be made in that. Always. Always yeah. has been. Always will be. People need music, and music needs people. So we put two together, and we make it work. Yeah, yeah. Well, how else? I mean, how else do you see artists monetizing music today? Live performance, merchandise, streaming. If you're registered with everywhere that you need to be registered with and making all the proper paperwork in order to exploit your music to its full potential, you can definitely make a career out of it and get that paper. Yeah, that's good, man. I mean, you yeah. know, it took, a, it took a while. There was a long time where people were not really making very adequate money as musicians. Well, people, people tend to not do the research and, and really figure out what they have to do to how to make it a business. It's called not, it's not called music have fun nowadays. It's called music business. If you want to be treated like a millionaire, you got to treat it like a million-dollar enterprise. That's true, man. We're here on the biz. That's <laughs> why. <Straight up. laughs> oh, we are. This is the biz, representing the biz. Shout out to the Only in Miami show, onlyinmiami.co. That's right, man. Grant Stern, OG, quadruple OG. Yeah, so uh, let's let's pick another excerpt from the book because I mean it's it's very you know it's it's colorful. I think people need to hear. Oh, here you go. This is a good one for the biz, right? I'm sure our audience is going to love this. How the music business was ruined by accountants and lawyers. Uh oh. Oh yeah. That sounds serious. Talk to me. Well, I can tell you straight up that the music business used to be dominated by people with with a love of music. I tell you, that's the preface. So then it sure. goes this chapter, page 222, jackpot, baby. When the lawyers and the accountants started coming into the music business is when, is when everything was all left up over. You know, it changed the whole industry. Now when the artists are coming in with the lawyers and everything, when they make the deal, they make sure the artist gets the publishing and all that nonsense. You know, in the old days, we were all music guys. We didn't have lawyers or accountants, man. They weren't effing heard of. Music people, man, we dug the music, or we didn't like it, or we made deals. Now it's all effing accountants and lawyers, and they don't know the first effing thing about a record. But if you control the money, you control a lot. So even if you claim you own a song or own a record, and you get in a lawsuit, and you go to court, most of the time you make a settlement, and usually the lawyer gets all the money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that's that's something that uh, sadly happens too much, you know. Straight up. Um, I mean, you know, I read I read the other book, and uh, you know, there were the, the there's a lot of problems where people don't make contracts, everything's a handshake, and then one day somebody says, "Well, I need a little of this," <laughs> and then the lawyers arrive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's always gonna be lawyers because anywhere there's money, there's vultures. <laughs> Well, on that lovely thought, we're going to take a real short break and we'll be right back. 
This is the Only in Miami show. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Jacob Cattell. He wrote the book Inside the Music Biz, The Stone Cold Truth. Co-wrote. Co-wrote. Yeah. All about Henry Stone, the Miami music legend. So we've been going through just at random and picking out some of the interesting stories uh, from the book and sharing them with you and... uh, to pick out another one i mean there's uh you know we actually okay we talked about the jukeboxes um uh, how about the almond brothers the almond brothers you know i'll tell you a funny story you ever you ever yeah. see that old saturday night live which one the one where uh jimmy Carter, you know dan Aykroyd is jimmy carter yeah yeah and the, he has the call in and it's a radio program just like we're doing <laughs> it's oh, like live on the radio with jimmy yeah. carter and the kid calls in and says uh I took some acid and <laughs> and I, I I don't know what's going on here. And he says, "Don't don't worry, son. I'll tell you what to do right now. Just put on some Almond Brothers. Do you have some Almond Brothers? Just yeah. put on the Almond Brothers. <laughs> epic, epic, epic. So uh, here's uh, how the Almond Brothers came to to Henry Stone. Yeah, because I, they're very highly associated with Georgia, eat a peach, everything like that. But they're a group from Jacksonville, and the first ever place they recorded was in Hialeah. Believe it or not. Oh, there he goes. Straight out of Hialeah, baby. Yeah, 495 Southeast 10th Court. Google map it. That's where Tone uh, Distribution was headquartered as well as TK Productions. I'm going to hit you with a story. Almond Brothers. They came to me. We cut them. (laughs) The Almond Brothers. When they met me, they were gigging down here in Miami. Little venues. Little rock and roll venues. Just hustling, you know, when they, uh, I guess, stay Valemo. They heard about what we were trying to do at TK, and they came by my 8-track studio upstairs when I, before I had the 24-track, early days. And they started, like, jamming around, and we, we started using them for sessions. We used them on a few little rock sessions that Steve wanted to do, Steve Alamo, that is. 
And then they ended up sleeping. They had their car downstairs, and they, they ended up sleeping upstairs in the studio for a week or so, for two weeks or so. And we ended up cutting an album with them, with Dwayne and Greg. That's the name of the album. Now, quick aside, you can actually look that up. Dwayne and Greg, Bold Records. A lot of the white acts we didn't bother with, but the Armin Brothers was a whole different story. They came to me, we cut them. We recorded that one terrific album with the song Melissa on it. Side note, that's one of their most famous songs was actually co-written with Steve Alamo, who's another legend from now here. Which, by the way, Steve Alamo is a writer, Ron. That was recorded upstairs on our little eight-track studio. We got a group that we're selling pretty good, the 31st of February, name of the group. And I think the Almond Brothers played the backup for that group. We formed that group. I made a deal with Vanguard Records to distribute it. I think Lawrence Welk bought the company, and I don't know, we had a little correspondence with them, and they said they found a contract for 1968 or something like that. But we released that Almond Brothers on my bold label, and we did very well with it. They still weren't big yet, but we sold quite a bit. And it was Dwayne and Greg Almond, you know, and we still own that. We're going to put it out eventually. And that was about the closest I came to rock and roll. Now, as a distributor, I distributed all the Zeppelin, Cream, all the rock and roll sites as a distributor. Florida, Philly, Chicago, New York, North Carolinas, all over the country. I distributed all that product in Florida plus all that trans shipping I did. But I'm a jazz guy at heart. Jazz and blues. <laughs> there you go. I mean, the Almond Brothers are legendary. Actually, they just lost the drummer, right? Butch Trucks. Yeah, he just passed away recently. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. to him. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so, I mean, you know, people don't realize, like, how involved Henry Stone was and how much of this really was happening down here. Yeah. Uh, well, if you just think about it in general, we, we never get the credit. New York gets, oh, this and that. New York, or Los oh, Angeles, New Orleans, for LA, Chicago. Big records were cut down here. Hit Factory alone, Atlantic Records. The Eagles did Hotel California here. Eric Clapton did Layla here. B.B. King did The Thrill Is Gone here. And Bob Marley co-wrote with King Sporty in a smoky Hylia upstairs studio, a little song called Buffalo Soldier. Yeah, yeah. Miami has a very rich musical history. Aerosmith. Over at the Marlin, remember they they recorded an album at the Marlin uh, Hotel. Oh, well, I there's didn't like even a know whole, that. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole recording studio that they put in on the second floor. But the Marlin, it was like uh, I don't know how to explain it. For some reason, everybody that bought the Marlin bar wanted to renovate it. It yeah. would open up. Yeah. For like three months. Yeah. Then they'd close it for renovations yeah. for like a year. Yeah. Then it'd open up for three months and then close for renovations for another year. That's like that place on uh, 36th Street and Northeast Second Avenue. Which one? Oh, it's like a restaurant. Oh, oh, the... It's always closing. Soho, opening. yeah, yeah, or whatever it's called now. It was Soho Lounge. Nah, right across, nah. yeah, right across from Midtown. Oh, right? not that one, not that Oh, the different parking garage. Hey, but by the way, check out this HenryStoneMusic.com. You got to check out the website, everything, all the information's available on there. These guys, I'm wearing the Brownstone Records t-shirt right now because James Brown and Henry Stone had a record label together. Get the last name Brown and the last name Stone. You put them together, that's Brownstone. Brownstone Records, Henry Stone Music, USA Inc. is going to be putting out a lot of this stuff. So look out for it very soon. That's very cool. Yeah. So, so this is like unreleased stuff from the Godfather of Soul, huh? Exactly. Yeah, Bobby Bird, who's the voice on uh, Sex Machine, he's the guy saying, get on up. That guy? Yeah. That's Bobby Bird. That was okay. his homie from the Famous Flames, which is the group that 
he did Please, Please, Please with in 1955 on federal records. That's awesome. So when's so that got, coming out? This is all in the process. I think it might have already, already hit Spotify and stuff like that. So if you look up Vicky Robinson, look up uh, Bobby Bird, John Henry, a lot of these classic brownstone material is, is hitting the world. Okay. From Henry Stone Music, which is still an active company. Henry, it is. Henry Stone active. hired me in like 2013. And uh, I'm a promoter, so I'm out here promoting, but I'm a writer, so I'm also writing. And we got these books. Mark Twain died uh, whenever he died, and then 100 years later, his autobiography came out, and he did it on purpose. So we got more of these books coming out, too. That's awesome, man. Well, tell our audience, where can they link up with you? Yeah. Jacob, because you're, you know, it's hard to get a hold of you, but not that hard. Where can nah, they find hey, you on Twitter? Nah, nah, where can they find you on social you, media? You can't find me on social media. You got to find me in real life where I got to find you. We're a physical reality, baby. But you can check out Henry Stone on HenryStoneMusic.com, Facebook.com slash HenryStoneMusicUSA, Instagram.com slash HenryStoneMusic, Twitter.com slash HenryStoneMusic. You could Google Yahoo or Bing search Henry Stone and it's sure to come up. Don't worry about me. I'll find you. <laughs> that sounds great, Jacob. Thank you, Bo. You're, you're the man. Thank you for allowing me to speak to these airwaves. No, listen, I appreciate you coming out. It's always <laughs> a lot of fun. It's always a history lesson in yeah, music man. history. Yo, thank you. And uh, you're going to stick around for the next segment, right? Yeah, you're man. You're going to hang out and yeah. we're going to chat with the Nog Champions. How's that sound? Epic. All righty. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. This is the Only in Miami show. Call it green neck bone heat. Always wear my jeans baggy saggy. No Florida Georgia side khaki lacky. Rolled up in spam and sandwich. Uh-huh. Sugar water, egg mayonnaise sandwich. Share the room with my four more brothers. For one home for one, no more covers. Uh-huh. A little bad. Uh-huh. Always wrong and always in trouble. None of my teachers ain't like this. Uh-huh. Make it so bad, poor hands said more like me. You brought them the way I did. You got to understand, trick love the kids. All of the artists featured tonight are going to be playing at the Medical Marijuana Benefit Concert. Check it out at medicalmarijuanabenefit.concert.com. That's www.medicalmarijuanabenefitconcert.com. Shit, chat, right? So pass out, last bow, pass, oh, sticky, tricky, 
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Ryan Cacolici. He is the co-founder and keyboardist of the Nog Champions and recently wrote and published the book, Permanence is a Ghost We Chase. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. With us there, Ryan. Thanks for coming. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, Ryan, uh, tell our audience a little bit about the Nog Champions and your style of music, because we've been listening to it for the first couple of breaks, and we're going to play another Nog Champions song at the end of this segment, too, the one that uh, we've been featuring. It's called Brazilian LSD. Tell our audience a little bit about the group. All right. Thank you. Um, We started back in about 2003, jamming uh in a in a living room situation um and a friend of ours who has a band heard us you know in this crazy wild jam that we were doing with all these different instruments including sitars and accordions and saxophones um just blending all types of different music uh so we were asked to play a a show out so we chose the name not champions to kind of a wordplay on the not champa incense right and um so we kind of call our music Afro-Galactic Tropodelic, uh, which kind of <laughs> is, is too hard to explain what we do with trying to name a hundred genres, so we thought we'd kind of create our own. Uh, we blend Caribbean sounds and rhythms with kind of the punk sensibility and aggression, funk, uh, electronic, reggae, a little bit of jazz, just to kind of create our own thing. And we've been doing it for 13 years now, playing shows and festivals. And it really is a, it, it's a, it's a personal project. Uh, a lot of the other people in the group are professional session musicians. And so this is kind of our, our, our creative outlet to, you know, do what we want to do in, as opposed to do what some of them are being paid to do by other, other bands and musicians. Right. So, I mean, let's talk about that. Do you have a, do you keep a day job or do you just do music? Are you a professional musician? Uh, I don't really consider myself a musician as much as I do an artist. I, I sure. practice art in, in a lot of different mediums. I, my day job is a graphic artist and writer for a magazine. Um, and I've been in this business for uh, about 17, 18 years now. Um, one of our, our, our bass player is a professional photographer uh, so we do have day jobs and we do have other outlets for our, and I would say as a graphic artist, you know, I'm paid to be creative for somebody all day. When I go home and I make music, it's purely for me. I'm not trying to, you know, make anybody else's vision happen except for my own and the rest of the people in our group. Right. No, that's really cool. That, that you know, I think that sets apart um, the good groups from the very good groups because, you know, there's some good groups that are out there, but they're trying to like fit a formula, you know, of like you can hear it. They're like trying to, you know, they're like, well, if we just play this this way, we'll get that. And, you know, there's a big difference between that and I am making some art, some music, you know, something that's creative and personal. Exactly. And I spent a long time since I was a teenager playing drums in different bands, trying to fit that formula, trying to fit that mold and get somewhere. 
never really getting too far because it's kind of, uh, you know, it, it didn't come from the heart. And in the last 13 years, with very little effort, we've gotten way farther than I've ever gotten trying to get somewhere. And it's just by doing it from the heart, using our, our natural vision uh, to create what we love and other people happen to love it too. So it works out for us. That's awesome. So uh, tell me about the book. Uh, it's called Permanence is a Ghost We Chase. Um, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. What's that about? Um, that also ties into my mission of making art and leaving beautiful artifacts in my wake as I move through this life. Um, permanence is a ghost we chase. It says it all. You know, we are all trying to reach some kind of, um, I want to say, some some perpetuity and or you know and permanence in this world uh you know we're all faced with with an ending or a horizon to our known physical life and i think as an artist making beautiful things to leave for people and trying to somehow um express my my state of being and my experience on this planet uh, to other people uh so this book was kind of a I've had, written a couple novels, but this one was, as my first thing published, uh, it was more of a, um, I want to say like a retrospective uh, collection of lyrics and poetry that I had been writing since I was a child. And it was very special for me to kind of bear this other side of myself to people who know my visual art, my paintings and illustration, and then my musical art uh, to show them that, you know, all of that kind of comes from this, this, one, uh, this one mission of mine. And writing goes through all of that, writing music, uh, writing concepts into paintings or whatever. This is, you know, a more um, a more natural side of me is, is the writing. So it was very special for me to be able to put that out uh, back in 2013. That's really cool. So um, tell us about this weekend's performance, because you guys are going to be on as part of a pretty large group of performers. We heard Trick Daddy. Um, who else is going to be playing with you guys this weekend? There's some great bands playing Grind Mode, uh, Telekinetic Walrus, which uh, are very good friends of ours, and do this crazy space space hip-hop style thing. I mean, they, they fit the Afro-Galactic bill as, as much as we do. Uh, Tamboka, which is good friends of ours. Rhythm Flow, again, uh, we share have shared some musicians in the past with Rhythm Flow. Um, Gypsy Cat, Mr. Green Repo, who I really love uh, hearing every year at this event. Sometimes he gets into, like, veganism within his raps and stuff, which always uh, speaks to me anyways. <laughs> Orion, uh, Sarah Peckerman, uh, there's, there's some great, great musicians playing, and some, a lot of these people are returning uh, from previous years in the festival, and this is a, you know, a, a cause that's near and dear to all of us. Uh, right. Well, it, it's, it's the law now as well, which is kind of amazing, but it's still not it a is. done deal. Are you... Are you up to date on what's going on with all that? I mean, it's a I done deal, am. but it's and it's not implemented well, yet. You know what? It, it's a great step in the right direction. Sure. For Florida, you know, we have, um, I don't want to say our state is backwards, but politically we're not always as progressive as, as we really could be. That's a very and, nice way um, of putting it. <laughs> that's very, that's very kind. Right, Jacob? It sounds like... Yeah, politics is just another day, um, but I like to live another day like another holiday. But legalized marijuana, <laughs> I voted for it, and congratulations to you. I look forward to seeing NAG champions at the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. And 71% of people in Florida um, voted for it, and I, I think that the governor and a lot of the other uh, 
politicians in Florida have, you know, they've gone silent now um, in in their opposition to this uh, this issue because they see that it's you know it's it's a political football that's being moved forward and forward. Well, the way I see it is uh, marijuana beat both political, both presidential candidates by 20 points. Right. <laughs> it's kind of crazy, but it, it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's going to be one of those issues that's going to force um, some politicians who aren't so progressive in the right direction. Because, uh, again, politics is, is about, you know, getting votes and money. So <laughs> you need you need the, the support of people who support this. This, this bill and uh you know this year is the 19th year for this benefit and um, flash has been doing an unbelievable job and he's a tireless advocate for this is- this issue sure and is. this is going to be a bit of a celebration this yeah. year because two two passed however again it's going to drive home that there's a lot more work to be done on this and this bill is kind of a little bit vague and a little bit nebulous but um it's a great again, start it's a, it, it's a great start in the right direction I just wanted to make a, a comment that my, my father suffers from MS, and he lives in Arizona, where he's been part of the medical marijuana program since 2010, and that's a very conservative state, and it has worked out really well there. Um, he's able to grow up to 12 plants for his own use, which puts him in control of his own medicine and in control of his own treatment and involves him in his own treatment, so he knows where the medicine is coming from. He has it gives him a sense of pride and something to look forward to and some hope. I mean, it's a really bad disease that and he's having a hard time struggling, uh, struggling with this disease. But he gets great, uh, great relief from this. So I've seen this firsthand, and this is something that's really driven my involvement in this issue. So. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate you coming onto the program. Where can our audience reach out and find out more about the Nog Champions online after the show? Nod Champions can be found at www.nodchampions.com, which is N-A-G-C-H-A-M-P-A-Y-O-N-S, like the incense, Nod Champa. Nod Champions. Yeah. Dot com. Yes, sir. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Great. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And we'll be right back. This is the Only, Only in, in Miami, Miami Show. show. Bombing, I'm flying out the planet, shamanic planet, that 
Welcome back. This is the Only in Miami show, and I'm your host, Grant Stern. You can find me on Twitter at Grant Stern and everything about the show at www.onlyinmiami.co, iTunes, podcast, SoundCloud, and a whole lot more. Check it out at onlyinmiami.co. And we're back live with Adam Ganusha. He runs the Night Arts Challenge. Adam, thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Grant. The pleasure is mine. So, Adam, tell our audience a little bit about the Night Arts Challenge because it's it's open and accepting ideas through April 28th, right? That is correct. The the, uh, application period starts uh, March 29th, but uh, let me take a step back here. Let's talk Uh, about it. The Night Arts Challenge is now celebrating its 10th year in Miami, and what it is is essentially an open ideas challenge where we're posing a question to uh, everyone in the Miami community, a, a broad question that is, what is your best idea for the arts? It doesn't. It can be as small or as big as you can as you can dream of. It can be across any artistic discipline, and it's open to any type of applicant. That means you can be an individual. That means you can be part of a nonprofit. You could be a for-profit business. You could be a university, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all the way down the line. So it is open to everyone. Everyone in the community can apply to the Night Arts Challenge. It's just about having a good idea. Most certainly, anybody can apply, and we and we strongly encourage that everyone does does apply. What we are looking for here is is to incorporate art, to weave art into the fabric of the daily lives of of, of our residents uh, in the Miami community, and we recognize that the best ideas don't always come from the usual suspects. So we're trying to cast as broad a net as possible to get uh, to sort of mine the creative talent and passion of uh, the folks in the Miami community um, to see if we can really just make art more general across the the, the region. Um, I, I should make a note that the Night Arts Challenge is really runs from West Palm Beach all the way down um, to the Keys. So we're talking about the Palm Beach, Broward, Dade, and Monroe counties. Yeah, and we have listeners up in Broward County, quite a lot of them. And I can tell you guys mm-hmm. personally out there, if you're driving, I've ha- I've actually kept uh, 880 The Biz all the way up to West Palm Beach. So, you know, hopefully some folks hear it and, um, and make the submission. Now, it's uh, nightarts.org. Right. That's the, the website. That is, that is correct. That is correct. Um, so we'll give that website out a couple of times. It's night K N I G H T arts dot org night arts dot org. And I'll, I'll repeat it at the end of the program. So, Adam, let's talk about some of the past winners of the night arts, uh, you know, the night arts uh, challenge. Sure. So having it, having run for uh, 10 years in Miami, we have quite a deep uh, list of grantees that have um, come through the Night Arts Challenge. Uh, some of the bigger ones that we may, um, that may that your listeners may know, um, there's the Borscht Film Festival that just That's a big uh, one. took place like maybe two weeks ago or so. Um, so that one is in top of mind. But we have some um, really uh, some newer uh, folks, and I'll, and I'll take some examples just from this past year. Um, 
And to give you a sense of the range of what we're, what we're talking about, Let's talk um, about we it. had we have um, one group. It's, uh, it's a project called American Classico. It's created by a group called Miami New Drama, which is they're taking, making sort of modernized bilingual adaptations of classic American plays like A Streetcar Named Desire, for example. Very cool. Um, uh, we have another project called um, The Craft of Writing, Fellows on Both Sides, where writers from uh, Cuba are going to take place in a cultural exchange with writers in Miami. Each group is going to spend some time with the other group in their respective place, and they'll come up with this sort of collaborative uh, piece of work. Um, we have experimental theater, we have visual arts, we have music, concert series, films. Um, it runs the range from last, last year. Uh, the smallest awards was in the $10,000 range. Uh, all the way up to the largest award being three hundred thousand wow. dollars. So it's a full, it's a really, really broad scope here of projects that could uh, be funded through the Night Arts Challenge. Um, it's really a wonder, wonderful opportunity. Well, you know, Adam, in, in keeping with this broad, broad search for applications across Miami-Dade mm -hmm. County and West Palm, um, I think it's good to mention this wonderful list. That, that I was sent because there's a lot of events coming up in the next week, right? Yeah, that definitely, definitely. So we have. Um, well, let's see. There's there's um, Hialeah, right? Uh, ne uh, which right. is going to be a week from today. Mm -hmm. um, Six thirty to eight. What, what's that one all about? It's at the Melander Center. Right. So what we're what we're doing here in in an effort to. Um, to get the spread the word as far and wide as possible, we're going to be doing a series of in-person sort of outreach events uh, throughout uh, South Florida next week, uh, March 20th to March 24th. Um, a week from today, we have a community conversation at the Mylander Center for Arts and Entertainment. That's in Hialeah. What we're gonna, what we're, what that's gonna be is, I uh, is a short presentation that sort of explains the challenge, talks about how you can apply, talks about some, gives some little tips and tricks as to making your application the strongest possible, and then we'll have a panel discussion with some former, um, with some past previous winners, um, just so that we can get the the idea here is to address as many of the crowd's questions as possible. Um, we'll be doing a, a similar event uh, the following day at the uh, Tuesday, March 21st at the Winwood Yard in Winwood. We're going to be up in Miramar. We're going to be in Brownsville in, in Miami. We're going to be in Kendall and uh, Key West and West Palm Beach a little bit later uh, in the in the month. But all that information is available at, through the website. If you go to the nightarts.org website, you'll find a link there that has all the information on all the info sessions. You can find the um, Eventbrite where oh, you can and, RSVP. Uh, there's one more I'd like to mention, which is uh, that the Fat Village, which is a Artists Village that's brewing up in Fort Lauderdale, Fat Village. Uh, there's an event Wednesday, March 22nd, right? A uh, lunchtime event. That's true. That that is true as well. We have and we have one in Panther at Panther Coffee in Wynwood. Right. Those are our um, sort of coffee hours where 
you can sign up for a 15-minute block of time, and it'll give you some one-on-one FaceTime with a night staff member so that you can um, use the time in whatever fashion you want. If you wanted to use a, a sort of a sounding board for ideas, if you're thinking that you might have some specific questions on how to make your application stronger, um, that is we, uh, an open block of time, and it's completely up to um, the, the person to use it Use it however they see fit. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be drinking coffee, so I'll be energized and ready to answer questions. <laughs> ready, energized, and set, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, there's, I mean, there's just, it's great to see that you guys are trying to really like get a lot, a broad, broad reach of ideas. And that's why I'm repeating that because I would hope that some of our listeners maybe have an idea, you know, it it costs nothing to enter the challenge, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's completely free to enter. And it's also, and it's it's less of a time commitment than most traditional grant applications. You know, this is a perfect segue. Thank you, Grant. The first round application are, is only a 150-word description of your project. That's it, just 150 words. You want to make a short, concise, compelling description of, of your idea. And um, there's no limit to how many ideas a single person can submit so and you see that's pretty I know cool we have a lot of creative people because, around there yeah. you know maybe you'll have some you know the, the thing that discourages people from asking for grants is that you know it can be very daunting uh in fact mm-hmm. there's a whole like job of grant writing like people who just <laughs> yeah. write grant applications this is different yeah. this is meant to be accessible right this is this is that's exactly right. This is a this is an ideas challenge, not a grant writing good grant writing challenge. Right, and and I hope that encourages people that maybe don't you know think of themselves as professional artists who are mm-hmm. out in our listening audience to go to nightarts.org and make a submission. You never know; maybe you are an artist, and you know the night will yeah. take you up on that. I mean, you people know, have great ideas know. about their own communities that people maybe mm-hmm. who are not going into those communities will see. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we'll get some very exciting projects from people that mm-hmm. didn't see themselves as an artist per se, but they're in mm-hmm. their car tonight and they're listening and they know that mm-hmm. 150 words is all they need to come up with. Just an idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, um, you know, I have a couple Good, a good, a fun, a fun factoid for you. Let's do it. So, over the lifetime of the challenge, about a third of for about a third of the winners, this is the first grant that they've gotten ever. So, wow. even if you're if you're uh, somebody who doesn't really may not necessarily know much about sort of the grant, the world of grants, you know, this is a great opportunity like this could be a great entree for you into that in, into into that word world a, a third of our winners have this for a third of our winners this is the first grant that they've ever received as a night arts challenge grant well adam thank you so much for joining me on the program tonight it's really been a pleasure oh it's a pleasure talking to you grant it, it, it is and where can our audience link up with you online if they'd like to continue the conversation on social media Sure. So you can you can find me. Um, the best place to get me is uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is at Adam Ganuza. That's A D A M G A N U Z A. 
or you could find my contact information through uh, the Night Arts website, which is nightarts.org. That's K-N-I-G-H-T arts.org. Well, Adam, thanks again for joining me on the show tonight. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Grant. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight, and I hope you enjoyed the program. I sure did. Stay tuned. We will be back next Monday night from 7 to 8 p.m., and I'd like to thank tonight's guests. I'd like to thank Ryan Kakolici. I'd like to thank Jacob Cattell and, of course, Mr. Ganusha for coming on the program. This is the Only in Miami show.